Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. Today's guest is Steve Barber, founder and CEO of Upstream Data. Since 2017, Upstream has been pioneering solutions to capture methane emissions in the upstream oil and gas industry and monetize them at source with mobile Bitcoin mining data centers. Steve's ingenuity and success has caused many to begin thinking outside the box when it comes to potential energy sources for powering the Bitcoin network and has spawned a burgeoning industry for taking wasted, isolated, unused or underused energy resources and turning them into Bitcoin. Steve is a highly regarded entrepreneur in the Bitcoin space, known for his frank style of communication and the honesty and integrity with which he conducts himself and his business. It's always an honor and a pleasure to get to speak with him. Enjoy. Steve, uh, it's good to be speaking with you again, man. It's been a while. Welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me back, man. Appreciate it. Fellow Newfoundlander hanging out. Yeah, yeah, we got to stick together these days. You know, not too, not too many Newfies in Bitcoin, but uh, I guess the quality exceeds the quantity, <laughs> if I can be so uh, so humble. Um, I've been I've been slowly orange pilling some of my buddies back home, so I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping there's a bit of a future there. And you know, uh, Newfoundland is a spot where mining could become something, right? Like Newfoundland and Labrador, but. You know, if the government stepped out of the way and let let uh, free enterprise come in and consume that hydro, but I guess we'll see what happens. I know, and particularly given the financial situation that they now find themselves in, which most jurisdictions kind of find themselves in a similar bind. But it seems like such a layup. But the the concept of using Bitcoin, understanding Bitcoin, leveraging Bitcoin to ameliorate their situation is just such a foreign thing to them that. I mean, cr- getting them to kind of cl- cross or close that chasm of understanding, I think, is the challenge. So, and I don't know if you and I are, have the time or are up to uh, having those conversations to make it happen. Yeah, man, it's unfortunately with utility power, especially in a province where it's really all province run, it stifles any any private market interest and you have to jump through the hoops. And if the people in power of like an, an Alcor NL Power, Newfoundland Hydro. I mean, if they're not on board with embracing it and 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 being receptive to the private market coming in, then nothing happens, right? And uh, yeah, unfortunately, at least in Newfoundland's case, there's, there were there were some miners uh, growing there, but some of them sort of uh, burned some of the bridges they built with the government in terms of grants and stuff, and, and there was lawsuits, and so I think they left some bad taste in the mouth there, but. Definitely yeah. a place like whenever I talk to my parents and we're just talking general stuff about new, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador. <laughs> I'm always telling them like, like my God, the province could really help help themselves dig themselves out of a hole if they just realized the opportunity they had and actively sought you know external investment into data centers and data center infrastructure with Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my father and I have the exact same conversation, and he's he's very orange pilled at this stage, and he's just like beside himself with how obvious uh, of an opportunity is it is, uh, but you know, also somewhat frustrated that. I mean, it's like the thing with Bitcoin always. Like before you see it, you either see it or you don't see it. You know, this this it's somewhat binary with Bitcoin, and if you don't see it it seems like such an absurd notion. And if you do see it, it seems like the most obvious thing in the world. And as you said, to get in particular 
like state run entities. Yeah, I think that's just the way with all bureaucrats and politicians. They don't, uh, they don't want to, yeah, they just want to do whatever they feel like the, the voting populace wants and, and they don't want to do anything too edgy, generally speaking. So fortunately, I think that's partly why the situation in Newfoundland doesn't get better. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Steve, for, for people listening to this podcast that aren't familiar with you, because I think we're probably speaking to a bit of a broader audience than the platform we've spoken on before. Um, can you just kind of give the, uh, the the introduction to what it is you've been working on in the space the last few years? Sure, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, so I'm the owner of Upstream Data. Um, so we're basically a Bitcoin mining focused uh, business uh, in terms of facilitating Bitcoin mining. Um, we sort of started, and I mean, we still are focused most heavily in oil field. So we... I mean, when I started the business, uh, it was all about, and it still is all about, going after wasted uh, natural gas in the oil and gas industry. So, I mean, that, you know, and without going into a lot of specifics, like mostly what we look at is uh, stranded gas. So whether it's sitting unproductive gas wells um, that are just burning a hole in the pocket of the producer and, and in some cases the landowner, as well as like... Uh, high emissions gas, like gas that's just not being put to use, like not being, you know, used to run a facility or sold to a pipeline. And that gas would be stuff like vented methane and, and flared natural gas. So obviously flaring uh, is the one that's most visible uh, with the big flare stacks you see all over, you know, you see them in Canada, the United States and all over the world, like basically wherever there's oil and gas, there's going to be some amount of flaring. So that's like the popular call it meme in this industry is like with Bitcoin mining is going after flaring. But funny enough, we actually flaring is only a smaller part of uh, our customer base. We, a lot of it is uh, venting, uh, which is just gas that's not even burned. It's just released to atmosphere. So it's more, it's worse for environmental reasons. And then there's, uh, you know, just stranded gas, like sitting gas that has no no egress option, like no sales point. So we go out with our business is all about specializing in building the tools that people need to go convert that energy into Bitcoin. So we basically are one-stop shop. Like we build, and we've come a long way, even probably since I was last on your, on your other pod, I think rapid fire might've been the one, but mm -hmm. you know, we, when I started the company, it was just, you know, me and a dream. And then we, you know, I eventually uh, managed to build my way up to renting out like a small bay in a fab shop. And then I, last year we bought the fab shop. This year we started a motor shop. So we're, we continue to vertically integrate. So we're all about vertically integrating and manufacturing around uh, primarily oil field services around Bitcoin mining, but but even that, like my, we're going to, we're going to be doing a lot more. We already do a lot more than just Bitcoin mining, uh, in the oil and gas industry. So we're for, focused in the oil and gas industry. And more recently, um, with some of this stuff, like I've been putting out on Twitter and like into our, uh, social following and our, uh, into our sales outlets is like more, uh, retail focused mining, Bitcoin mining. So I guess you could say like we're hyper-focused on Bitcoin mining, but we do have uh, sort of parts of our business that are diversifying 
uh, into just standard industry and just being a business that operates on a Bitcoin standard, um, which puts us at a major advantage over all of our competitors who generally uh, don't have a Bitcoin treasury and as such are effectively they're going to have to make a lot higher profit margins than we will uh, just to stay competitive with us. Yeah. I mean, that, that aspect is, we we were talking before the show, like just certain things that are happening in the ecosystem that people don't realize how impactful they're going to be yet. And, you know, it's only really been a year since this whole, I know there's been, there were smaller companies that put Bitcoin on the balance sheet, but basically MicroStrategy and Sailor came out and made the massive move of putting their whole balance sheet, you know, uh, into Bitcoin. And I think it's people, it's starting to dawn on businesses, like how much of a advantage that can be, not just, you know, in, in the course of normal competition, but especially in the current climate that we're in, where inflation is driving up costs on so many things. And you, you, if you put your company on a Bitcoin standard, if, if you have your savings in Bitcoin, it's, it's like an inflation sink. It just, it, it like automatically balances the scales so that, yeah, sure. If your parts costs go up 20, 30, 40, 50% in the run of a quarter or two, that would be really devastating or challenging, uh, if, if you just had to suffer that by itself. But if you have this thing on your balance sheet that it goes up as the inflation goes up, right, a proper hedge and even probably more than a hedge because of the other dynamics at play in the Bitcoin market, then, you, you know, again, you're at such an advantage over the people that you're competing with. Oh, my God. It's not like so. I mean, we're realizing that. I've been realizing that as a business since 2017. I mean, so like when I started, um, I basically just put all my my own money. I have a business partner. We just put our money. And for me, like, you know, I started out as uh, an engineer. I'd quit my job and, you know, I only had so much life savings. And I basically put it all into my first prototype and eventually sold that. And, you know, while we mined and when we sold that, we sold it for Bitcoin. So I always had a Bitcoin treasury for the company. And I mean, obviously, I can't just run the company on just a Bitcoin treasury. Like we have fiat, like we have Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars as well, because we're we're exporting down to the U.S. and we work locally in Canada. So we hold three currencies, like Bitcoin, uh, Canadian, and U.S. dollars. Um, but I generally try to keep the uh, the bulk of the treasury towards Bitcoin. Just because, unlike Canadian dollars and uh, U.S. dollars, uh, it, it it appreciates in value, right? So, it's such a huge advantage, and we are seeing massive inflation in prices um, of raw material. So, we bring in you know raw steel, convert it into a building. Uh, we we bring in all kinds of other parts, uh, even wood. Like we do simple wood shacks for for oil motors, like for enclosing oil motors, like in the Canadian oil field. And, you know, lumber went through the roof earlier in the year and it's starting to finally come down a bit. But I just can't imagine what it'd be like operating as a company right now. You, you, you're basically forced to go into more and more debt to uh, even just get ahead of inventory. And of course, most companies like in the last, say, decade and beyond have been operating like most manufacturing businesses have been operating on a ready to manufacture or ready to uh, what do you call it, lean manufacturing so like basically you bring in the inventory that you you know you need and convert to your product and then you don't really store a lot but for us uh, especially as i'm seeing inflation uh 
become like effectively hyper, <laughs> like it's getting hyper, uh, it's going, going hyper mode. Uh, so we're, I would even consider us in some mild form of hyperinflation right now. Mm. And for us, I'm like, well, um, I'm just going to go stockpile a ton of inventory, uh, that I think I might need next year because even though it's well beyond what, you know, I'm expecting, um, in, in, in near term sales, it's the only way I can protect our business uh, from inflation is just to go buy it now while the prices are, you know, high, but you know, less than what they're going to be. And, you know, when your dollar is just, uh, deflating, like in terms of value is just like losing value constantly. Uh, it's, it's not a bad investment at this point, just the stockpile, uh, inventory that you know is going to be liquid and, you're going to be able to sell. So Bitcoin treasury has just made that even just like, we wouldn't be where we're at today without it. Um, simply because, you know, you look at my competitors in the oil field and I mean, we build motors now and my competitors building motors. And I was saying this for years. Like I was saying this on podcasts in 2018, like local podcasts, like in my community in our manufacturing, where our manufacturing is like in Lloydminster, Alberta, I was telling people like, you know, no one's going to be able to compete with us if, as long as we have the same profit margins and the same quality and the same service, if we can provide the same product to the customer, then at some point I'll just end up being able to buy up all my competition because I'm the guy holding a Bitcoin treasury and all my competition is too scared or they don't think it, they think Bitcoin's stupid and, or it's fad and they're just holding dollars and they're going further and further into their lines of credit. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, and we haven't even really incorporated the sailor strategy yet where, where we, like, I still liquidate Bitcoin to pay for supplies. Uh, there's certain advantages in doing that, uh, compared to just constantly leveraging against it. But we, ha- we're only just starting to leverage our company up because I basically ran the whole business with no leverage. And that's what Bitcoin allowed, uh, because the asset just keeps going up. I've been able to run a business very low debt but that in today's world on a fiat on a fiat system and in a hyperinflating dollar you don't want to run on no debt you want to run on actually quite a high debt because the debt keeps getting cheaper to pay off in the future so we're finally in a position where we can really start leveraging our business and and taking on this fiat debt and liquidating less and less bitcoin and uh, it's just going to keep compounding so so yeah, the power of a Bitcoin treasury is is unbelievable. Uh, not just for a person, like an individual, and just protecting their life savings, but like uh, as a business, you got to do it. If you don't do it, and this keeps going where it's going, you're going to be bought out by businesses that do. And we're already seeing that. We're seeing it all over the place. Yeah, we were talking about the kind of financial speculative attack you know, on the dollar, let's say, or the bond market represented by borrowing in U.S., you know, U.S. dollar denominated debt and buying Bitcoin with it or issuing Bitcoin denominated bonds and and then kind of how that dynamic would, would influence currency markets. But I think, you know, I absolutely agree that the companies that first and most aggressively adopt a Bitcoin standard, they're going to be there. They're going to be the ones that exceed or at the very least standing when the dust settles and can scoop up competitors or other assets in the space, uh, you know, pennies on the dollar effectively. But there's two, there's a couple questions I had about that. One, you know, we, 
I think most of us agree, you know, as hardcore Bitcoiners, like Bitcoin goes up and to the right on a long enough time scale, but it does experience, you know, down years, these bear markets that can be uh, fairly deep, if not of, of much of a concern for people as convicted as I suspect you and I are. But if you are using it as your primary, you know, savings account for your business, how do those bear markets affect you, if at all, when they occur? Oh, well, they do. And I mean, we've never had a hundred percent Bitcoin treasury, um, not even by choice, just by necessity. Like, uh, if I'm paying a electrical contractor, like a supplier who's selling me cable or something, uh, he's usually not accepting Bitcoin as payment yet. So I have no choice but to hold a treasury. And I mean, it, it doesn't make sense for me to convert it all to Bitcoin because then I just have to liquidate it from time to time. And incur those liquidation fees and the trend, you know, the on ramping and off ramping. If I'm using uh, an exchange, so I, I usually try to balance it um, as best I can. Like if we have an influx of uh, too many dollars coming in, what I'll do is uh, I'll start, you know, even some suppliers who I'm paying in Bitcoin, I'll start paying in U.S. dollars to drop my U.S. dollar exposure. Mm. Um, and and to some degree, you're always balancing it. Like I do it all at my company. Like uh, I'll I'll make a decision on when to liquidate some Bitcoin, based on where I think the market is. And obviously, I think in the long term, you know, it's a bad decision. But I have no choice because at some point, there's points in time where I have so much Bitcoin percent, like percentage of Bitcoin in my treasury versus dollars, that I have no choice but to liquidate to hit to hit payroll and and to do all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but in bear markets, like, I mean, it's tough. You have to lean out. Uh, you just have to, like anything, you have to lean out. Like, it's the opposite of bear market. In the bear market, you know, your treasury is actually doing worse than a fiat treasury. So that's why, like, you, even me, like, I don't go I don't go 100% in. I sort of balance it so that I'm, in that sense, I'm naturally hedging. Um, so even in the bull market, I'm not going 100% Bitcoin because no one really knows what, where Bitcoin will be tomorrow. So I'm always, always got some hedge. And yeah, it's really just about running lean. Um, I mean, I've, I've personally, and I don't want to sound like, like, uh, like I know something I don't, but like the, I found it, I find it pretty easy to be re to reasonably time the market, uh, pretty well. Like maybe not, I don't certainly make perfect trades, but when I do that, make that decision to sell coins, I've always sort of chosen good spots in the market and it's sort of i feel like like and this is just purely speculative but like when you're tied into the bitcoin network every day and you're reading you know all the interesting <laughs> articles every day like in your shit posting on twitter every day and you get you have all these uh friends like i met you online and and like we're in different chats together. We're seeing different group chats. We're seeing, you know, you sort of get a feel of the sentiment. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's almost like, I feel like I got a good feel of the market. So like when the market pumps really hard and it pumps hard and fast and it's like, okay, this is really frothy right now. It's sort of absurdly frothy. Then I might be like, okay, time to take a little bit off the table. Cause I got to hit payroll in the next few months. Right. So then we'll right. sell a bit. And that's what we've always done. Um, and then you got, you know, like this is a whole different can of worms and we haven't done this, but I'm a little sketched out by it actually. But like the whole concept of using your Bitcoin as collateral uh, for loans and that market has gotten really big, especially in mining. So a lot of companies, a lot of mining companies are using their Bitcoin as collateral with these with these third parties that will accept 
uh, Bitcoin as collateral. I mean, there's many of them now. Um, I've shied away from that because uh, the way I look at it, it all comes down to interest rate, no matter what. Like you, all all debt you take on, you need to put up collateral. We're lucky enough where our business, because we're not a pure Bitcoin miner, we're more so an equipment provider. Like we're a manufacturer, so. I'm still able to get traditional financial loans. I wasn't really so much so even a year ago, but as we keep establishing ourselves, like, uh, you know, local credit unions and, and even other entities, whether it's, you know, our own shareholders are willing to do convertible notes with us or uh, local, like credit, banks don't tend to want to give us any money, but like credit unions are so far on board. And so we get, we get pretty reasonable interest rates, like, normal business interest rates for the kind of market we're in. And that's a lot more competitive than these collateralized loans that I'm seeing. Right. And it also, I, I am, I'm very concerned about the collateralized loans business because they're not quite pricing in the systemic risk uh, related to uh, custodial uh, hodl, right? Like custodi- custodians having your Bitcoin and potentially fractioning it, which I think is happening. So that's that's one reason why I haven't done that. But that is definitely a tool for people to use in bear markets. Um, but it can go both ways because bear markets, one way or the other, you have to sup up your collateral in the cases where people are using Bitcoin as collateral because your your collateral is dropping in value. Um, so it's really just managing, like any business, there's nothing, I don't find there's anything different really about managing a business focused on Bitcoin as there is managing a business just that's in traditional pure fiat. Right. You know, it's, there's a lot of Bitcoin locked up as collateral now and with custodians, you know, so that's obviously not Bitcoin. Oh, sorry, John. Um, That last stretch there, I didn't hear anything. Uh, Okay. Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Bitcoin is locked up in in collateral with custodians and you know, I, it's an, it's not unexpected, you know, because not everyone's going to want to take the responsibility to manage their own keys, but it it is just recreating the same problems of the existing system. And it's hard for me not to imagine that it's going to end badly at some point. You know, I, I hope I'm wrong and I hope people, these businesses, operate responsibly and provide a service to people that need it. And it, it kind of all works out, but typically in these sorts of scenarios, uh, people get over their skis, whether it's the customer's, um, confidence in the custodian or the custodian's own confidence in their ability to measure risk and maximize return. And, you know, things, black swan events happen, unexpected events happen and things end badly. And I wonder if, in this bull market that we seem to be in now, either during or whatever happens afterwards, if if we maintain a kind of similar structure to the cycles that have preceded it, if if we see you know blowups, right? It would kind of be weird to have a, a full cycle without major blowups, but we shall see. I uh, mean, I'm I'm on the doom side of that, like totally. <laughs> like I, I think I think things have gotten. Uh, see, the thing is, like you custodial custodian custodial solutions are critical to bitcoin in terms of scaling it and have been critical i mean there's no doubt about that like there between exchanges on-ramping people and being a custodial partner to people which i 
quite don't agree with. Like, I don't think you should hold your, your, your private key, let someone else hold your private keys, hold your Bitcoin for you. But there is a market that does just simply want that. And then even on the mining side and people never really talk about this, but, or I don't see it talked about as much when we talk about custodians, but a mining pool is a custodian, right? They're effectively taking custody of your hash rate and your coins for a period of time. And they could steal your coins and, and, uh, I mean, there's ways to audit them, but it's a custodial scaling solution. Like mining wouldn't have scaled at all, uh, without pools, um, reducing the variability in your bot and your rewards. So it's sort of like, you know, on one hand, custodial solutions have massively leveraged up Bitcoin's ability to scale throughout the world, and it would not be nearly where it is today, for example, without mining pools and exchanges. But on the other hand, it, it creates these attack vectors and, and these vectors for human fallacy, primarily like uh, the main one being like, I'm not so worried about mining pools, but I'm, I'm more so concerned that when you look at all the custodians across the market, many of them have probably, um, whether due to human error and mismanage their 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 treasury, uh, which they're custodying for their customers, or through basically like theft, um, they've fractioned they've fractioned uh, what you know the deposits that have been put in. They don't have full reserve behind it, and it's been fractioned to some degree. I mean, there's there's no doubt that that's true. To to think that. The in aggregate, every custodian on the planet has 100% reserve and can give a full Bitcoin back to every single person that wants to withdraw it is just laughable. Like, there's no way that's true. Hmm. So then it, it comes down to the fact the the only question is like, how fractioned is it? Is a fraction, you know, one percent? Is a fraction 25% or or like? anywhere in between or more who knows like there's no way to know and there's no way to audit them because you know people are always advocating for proof of reserve and proof of audit but uh, of course where that fails as far as i understand is that you know i might have a full reserve of bitcoin and i might have all these deposits but that doesn't necessarily mean depending on the contract terms from a legal standpoint that I have to pay the depositors back first. I might have preferential liquidation if there's some kind of insolvency event where I have to pay, I don't know, like a creditor. Usually creditors get preferential liquidation preference. And then there's shareholders and then there's the depositors. And obviously there's a lot of regulations around that, but laws only go so far. At the end of the day, you have to have uh, true reserve and true ability to pay things back. And that's just the history of hard money is that when you use custodial options like banks, like vaults for gold and everything that's been used in the past, um, uh, there, there, there's historically going to be bank runs. And I think Bitcoin is not going to be no different. And uh, I think the sooner we have a big bank run and we we expose the emperor and see if, if he's wearing any clothes, like then uh, the better. The longer this goes on, where the market just continues to leverage up and get frothy, especially with this collateral custody stuff, uh, there's going to be, there could, the longer it goes on without a big bank run event, the worse it's going to be in aggregate for people. And that's sort of what I think is the biggest risk right now in Bitcoin um, is is whenever there's a big spook in the market, maybe like there's rumors, you know, for arbitrarily, like Coinbase could be insolvent and there's rumors running around. And then that would spook the market 
because they're such a big player, the entire market would probably do a bank run if that if that was actually a legitimate rumor. Mm. And uh, yeah, I worry that the longer it goes on, the more damage that will be dealt. And and of course, that's what introduces regulatory tax. That's where regulators come in and start putting stupid rules in place because they feel like they need to protect people. But as we both know, regulators end up just hurting the market in, in whole. Yeah. The, and the question for you, and obviously if it's too private, you don't have to answer it, but as a company with shareholders, like how do you custody or how would you recommend custodying a Bitcoin for a small business with multiple uh, like constituencies of, of shareholders? Yeah, I can't. I won't say anything about us specifically uh, because it's just too too sensitive. But uh, stuff like multi signature. I mean, there are services that you know, like I'm not shilling Unchained. I, I don't personally use Unchained, um, so I'm not lying. Like our company doesn't use them right now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we won't use them in the future. But there's companies like them where you have the you know multi signature, uh, call it safety mechanisms, so that. You know, like one founder, like myself personally, I can't screw it up and uh, lose all our coins for our investors. But and and I do see like the bigger you get, the more important that is. Um, but there's risk with anything. Like uh, certain businesses have, um, I don't know much about on chain to be honest, but like there's 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 plenty of them that do that now. I think. Yeah. And there's other risks too because you're giving them one set of keys in the in in this key split. And then sometimes the, another set it goes to a trust fund or a trust, uh, an, like a legal trust. And I mean, that all has risk. Like it's not, it's not risk-free. Um, and it has cost too. Uh, usually there's some kind of fee. Um, I mean, like people often, you know, I've had people tell me, Hey, like, can I put it my seed in my, my seed phrase, my private keys and my safety deposit box. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's really up to you, but it's, it's not risk-free. Like it's, uh, plenty of different things can happen. And, and also even with safety deposit boxes, I think the law is now in Canada, um, there are conditions in which, uh, any authority, uh, recognized authority can confiscate that they can, mm. they can go into the bank and open up your box. Like there's, there's certain legal, uh, course of action that they have to do that. And, um, and it might be something completely independent of anything an individual has done wrong. So, so you know, there's really there's no way to do it risk free, and it's really just for everyone to uh, try to learn about and, and manage themselves. And, and the bigger you are, and the more say uh, shareholders you have in that treasury, yeah, the more important it is to to have a good plan. Yeah, I think one of the things that constantly happens with Bitcoin, especially people that come in and uh, are interacting with it for the first time or learning about it. It's like you, you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want this new, absolutely scarce, you know, uh, form of incorruptible money, let's say. And you also want all the conveniences and assurances that the legacy system provided. And you begin to realize that on some levels, they're not perfectly congruent and you actually have to change what your behaviors and your expectations are if you want to leverage the benefits to be derived in the former and let go of, of those comforts that were, uh, you know, uh, presented by the latter. And that's, oh, you know, yeah. and I think what, what's, what we're seeing now is like with this, maybe with this collateral and custodial model, I think at least an element of it is 
yeah, trying to have your cake and eat it too. And it's probably going to unwind in some way over the course of time. Yeah, I agree 100%. So like we've had several incidences now with our, with our new customers. So like our business is all about onboarding orange pilling customers. I mean, that's what we do. Like most of our business is directly with oil companies who eat orange pill and they start mining Bitcoin themselves. And that's always been because we feel it's like, I feel personally, it's the most scalable uh, way to build my business instead of what I see, say some competitors doing where they become the the miner and just pay for gas or something. I, I, I personally consider it more important to get the oil producer orange pills so that they keep buying my services in the future. Um, and what I've seen is uh, I've seen this on a couple occasions and one of them very significant. Like we have a, like one client, he's a small, small entity, like mom and pop, right? Like not, not some well-financed oil company. And they, they bought some Bitcoin mines off us. And I usually, if it's not me, it's someone on my staff, like uh, IT, someone that has very knowledgeable about Bitcoin security. We, we do a little intro to them and like help them get set up usually with some kind of hardware wallet and really walk them through and hold their hand to make sure they understand uh, what they're getting into. And on a couple of occasions, one in particular, uh, our customer succumbed to a phishing attack and gave away a seed. Oh, and uh, yeah, and it's really, that's what exactly what you're saying. Like you, people have this sometimes come in with this mentality uh, that, you know, it's a get rich quick thing thing. And it's like, you know, the legacy financial system where, you know, if, if someone defrauds you on your credit card, well, you just call the credit card company and get all your money back. And it's just right. easy. It's like, no, it's not like that. And, and so some people find it strange, uh, maybe at the start when I'm, if it's me personally, and it, it usually was in the past, whereas now I have more staff helping, but I would personally be like ultra paranoid and conscious, uh, caution them about, uh, how to protect themselves. And, and usually like people are very appreciated of it. Um, but sometimes they don't take it all to heart and then, <laughs> you know, they don't follow the steps I recommend and read the resources I recommend and, and they become complacent and then they do something stupid and lose their coins or lose access to them or whatever the case may be. So there's totally a, there's that balance where Bitcoin is it's is sort of forcing people to take personal risk instead of paying someone else to do it. But you have the option to to pay someone else to do it, like through some trusted custodian. And I do think it has value. What I want to see is, um, even though I always advocate, like not, like, not your keys, not your coins, like keep, you know, learn to hold your own keys. It's, it's just for your, your own best interest. You know, I, I do think custodial... HODL and custodial um, services will always have a, a big part to play. And so what I want to see is just more competition in that area. Um, sort of like in the old days, like, you know, in the free banking system, there's just more competition uh, among banks and mm-hmm. issuing their own notes and, and which effectively was a, was a custodial HODL on, on their customers' assets and their gold and, and whatnot. That's what I want to see. I want to see more of that. Like, I don't want to see everyone say, go to one, entity, whether it be Coinbase or Gemini or some other custodial service, I want to see a lot of competition there because that, that's what really makes things robust. And then when that's what we need in the space, um, um, and I'm not sure it's really happening. I mean, it certain, certainly is happening. There's becoming more and more competition, but there are periods where it sort of 
seems to centralize and aggregate. And we're seeing that in all kinds of areas, like in mining uh, and in other, other, other spots. Like there's periods of time where all this money comes in and, and uh, they start buying up um, a lot of equipment or, you know, pumping uh, their services for custodians and, and the like. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, you, you know, you're, you're a fairly outspoken critic of government intervention in markets and you're a free market advocate. And, you know, all there's so much intervention going on today that we, we don't have anything even near approximating a free market, a free market in capital, a free market, you know, government backstopping big corporations. All You know, it's all so perverted. Um, but as you mentioned, like a lot of the big miners today are going public and this gives them access to that artificially cheap capital to either scale up their operations, buy Bitcoin, issue debt, all that kind of stuff, which even though it's uh, maybe a less noble way of conducting business, if we want to use that term, um, it's highly effective and it's taking advantage of the circumstance that currently prevails in, in global uh, capital markets, let's say. And so I know I know how strongly you want to build a real business, you know, with real customers and kind of succeed or fail based on the, the sweat of your brow and the products and services that you produce. But have you considered doing things that would allow you to access more of, let's say, clown world capital than <laughs> you currently are? <laughs> Yeah, clown, clown world, clown world capital. That, that's that's exactly someone out there should make a firm, a financial firm called Clown World Capital. Like straight up, that that would be that would I, I would take money from a Clown World Capital firm. So yeah, like I have differing views on that. Like I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, no doubt at all that because uh, I'm seeing my competitors who came you know, years after me who have either maybe no product at all, but just a business idea, go raise insane amounts of money. And I'm like, well, I could go do that. And it'd be easy. Like I've had plenty of people approach us over the years, um, wanting to do that. I had, I turned down an offer on our business, uh, a few months ago, they wanted to buy that buyer business at quite a good valuation at the time. Um, uh, about a year ago, and I just flat de- declined because they're the only way they, they the the main part of their their uh, offer was that they get majority, and then they they could then basket in basket in into this uh, sort of thing where they're going to go public. And would I have gotten filthy rich off that? Probably, <laughs> like like probably, <laughs> like I own the majority of the company, so I would have owned a small part of the that effort they're doing. And, and these were Wall Street people. So what I've gotten way more richer faster than I would, uh, doing what I'm currently doing. Yes. Like I would, but I don't know, like I maybe have this weird mentality where, I mean, I, I, I don't care enough about, uh, early riches and exits. Like I don't want to exit this company. Like I want to, I want to build something awesome. Like that's sort of what I want to do in the long term, And I'm on pace to do that. Like we're, we've, we've grown, we're growing multiples every year, many multiples every year. Uh, we're at like over 40 employees. We're still a small business, but like we're, we're doing quite well. And our products, I'm really proud of our products, even though our products always have room to improve. I'm very proud of it. I think we have if not the best in class products, I think we're very close. And, you know, I'm really, I'm just personally passionate about 
building awesome stuff. And, and when I see, and what really, like, I'm never jealous of anyone when I see them raise money. I, I actually pity them often. I, I, I think about like, you just let in, you just let these Fiat maxis into your company and just, they'll destroy it. Like they'll destroy it from within. They'll oust you. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll implement a vision that is high time preference and not, and not scalable. Like they'll make, I, I know it'll happen. I think in time, if we revisit this conversation in 10 years, you'll see me around bigger than ever, uh, at upstream data, you'll see our company and you'll see all these other ones have flared up and fizzled out or they would have exited and moved on to other, th- other things. Now for some people, that's all you want to, they want to do. They just want to, move forward with a a cool business and exit and make a lot of money and then do another thing. And that's awesome. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, for me though, I want to, I have a passion about oil and gas service, uh, services and oil and gas industry. I just love it. Like I've been doing it for years and I want to build a really big and awesome and just like an amazing reputation business in the space. Because I think that, because I don't look at me, us competing with other Bitcoiners, like compet- uh, Bitcoin, call it mining outfits. I look at it like I'm competing with legacy oil field service companies. And what can I do to, to basically, you know, eat their lunch? Like I'm, I'm actively looking to expand our Bitcoin, our, uh, our oil field services with a focus on Bitcoin and Bitcoin treasury. But my goal is not to like just mine Bitcoin. My goal is to earn Bitcoin. And I'm going to do that by entering their markets, offering hopefully better products or even similar products and just out-competing them. And that's where, that's where I want to go. So, you know, I mean, it's, I'm always talking online about like not, don't let Fiat Maxis uh, buy up your equity. And the reason for that is twofold. Like for, for one, when I say Fiat Maxi, I'm, I'm talking about, just it's sort of a general term for anyone. It can, it can mean like I can be a fiat maxi on a certain days, but it's just a contextual term. It just means like the closer you are to the money printing spigot. So if you're a central bank, well, you're you're basically the, the highest order of fiat maxi. And the way I look at it is like these people, like fiat is just pure evil. Like and and government intervention is just pure evil. There's no there's I mean we can have a long conversation about that, but like like throttling the free market and, and muzzling the free market is nothing but pure evil. And and that's typically what regulations do and what government policy does and what central banking monetary policy does. So for me, um, like they, maybe there's a bit of an ideological aspect to how I run my business, but I look at the world, <laughs> I look at the world. Yeah, maybe I look at the world to be honest. I think it's purely economic. Like I, I think I'm going to outperform all of these guys going public in the long term, uh, because they're going to succumb to these brutal regulatory costs, like in these ESG costs. And we can talk about that, but mm-hmm. just to finish the thought, like I look at the world in a way where, okay, you have people printing money and buying everything up, uh, and benefiting from the money they print. Now, I have no control over the money they print, but I do have control over the, what they buy up. I, and that means, do I sell them my equity? If there was enough people out there on a long, on a low time preference, like Bitcoin standard mindset, and enough people decided 
and realize that just by running their normal business, whether you're a restaurant or whatever you are, like whatever product you or service you supply, if it's consulting, if it's podcasting, it doesn't matter. And you real and you realize that your equity is growing no matter what with your Bitcoin treasury, then you wouldn't be so inclined to sell it early and uh, and and you you'd at least sell it for a huge premium. And and for me, like if you starve these people out of equity, if they can't buy equity. Then they have nothing. Uh, if they, if you don't accept their money, their dollars, uh, then they have nothing. Now, if they're paying me in Bitcoin, it might be a different story. But but regardless, <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin and dollars are one and the same at any given day on at any given exchange rate. So, like for me, it's about the people. When people approach me personally and want to, like, there's a few entities that approached us. Like, I won't name them. Um, that I, I know who they are and I know they have the same mindset as me. So I I don't have reservations at of selling equity to them because I don't consider them, you know, fiat maximalists. Like, uh, unlike some people that just walk in off wall street and all they want is to flip a company and to look good. Um, those I consider fiat maxis and I don't care to have them in the company because they don't share the same vision. They don't have the same low time preference, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally do. And I think it's awesome that you're taking that approach because I mean, kind of like you say, if you just get these the corporate raiders is too strong because that doesn't characterize everyone who's, you know, trying to broker these deals if they're on the fiat maximalist end of the spectrum. But their mindset is, as you say, far higher time preference to just get in and squeeze as much as possible out of it. And, you know, if, if you kill it through the squeeze, oh, well, and if you, and if, you know, you get this rampant run up in in growth and that becomes destabilizing in some way then oh well like i i I just think it's great that there's this ethos permeating through the bitcoin space where people want to build companies that last that are self-sustaining and they want and bitcoin is providing them a tool to be able to resist the enticements and the encroachments of uh, the system and the people that want to do things a different way yeah, Bitcoin is giving people and companies the power to say no. Power to say no. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And having Bitcoin on the balance sheet and and benefiting from its appreciation means that I have that breathing room or that flexibility or that ability to resist what otherwise might be too enticing to say no to. And the result of that is more and more businesses getting built along. Again, for lack of a better term, let's say more. Uh, more, more noble or a, a better ideological imbued with better well, ideological well. imperatives. There, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Like a good example, I think like, so, I mean, I personally think, and I mean, I don't know how anyone can disagree that and this is just a one-off example that a business that mandates a personal health uh, decision, such as a vaccine I consider that highly unethical, like for any individual in management at any business to feel that they're or they're uh, in a position where there's okay from a moral and ethical standpoint for them to mandate that to their employees, because it, it, you're basically saying, take this, uh, this, what, what should be a personal health decision and you do it or you're fired. And that's what they're doing to people. And you know why that is? It's not because 
in aggregate, everyone just feels that's okay and like it's ethical and moral, then they should be allowed to mandate their employees to do that. Most companies today are so swamped by debt and 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 uh, owned so by their credit, beholden by their yeah. debt, and owned by their creditors, effectively owned by them. Whether they're shareholders that bought in with their cheap fiat, fiat okay, I'm talking about these fiat maxis, or they're literally just institutions lending and and threatening to turn off the taps if they don't comply and that's mm-hmm. what's happening that's why a lot of these major corporations are complying because they're scared that if they don't then the taps will be turned off their credit will be turned off um they're there's you know the the board of directors that that was installed uh, from this cheap money is mandating it and if you grow your business from scratch without allowing that infiltration of, of uh, corrupted uh, moral uh, money, then then that doesn't happen. Like there's no one in my company right now that can mandate that can mandate like uh, tell me that I have to mandate vaccine passports. There's nobody I'm not beholden to anyone. And so I don't do it because I, th- I personally consider it a personal choice. And it should I think I think every person would agree with me if they weren't coerced by some other external force that yes, this is an external, this is a personal decision. So when you see that, right, you were seeing it now and I'm seeing like these big companies uh, and I'm, I'm thinking oil field too, because you got all these big oil companies. Like there was a big company here in Canada that they, they, they were, they were going to mandate vaccines on all their employees and they ended up bailing on it because there was enough outcry from their employees that they realized it was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. I was a borderline going to send a note to them that were they're banned from ever using us as, as a business because <laughs> I, I honestly thought it was such an immoral thing to do that I didn't want to work with them anymore. Uh, but they they didn't implement it, so I didn't go that far. And I mean, to my and that would have been a, a bad business decision on my part because like I'd be, you know. Uh, I would be censoring a potential huge client in the future, but it just disgusted me so much. Like I, I was borderline thinking of doing that. And I mean, like on this whole topic of like, you know, my, I, I've always had this theory and I've talked about it a lot, like on other podcasts. Um, I think reputation, like personal reputation, like my personal reputation as uh, Steve Barber, like I have to, I want to uphold and as my company, like upstream data, and then and everyone in my company that represents us and me, I'm very anal about our reputation. I'm always slamming people in my company if I hear them do anything that could tarnish our reputation. Because mm-hmm. to me, I mean, every business sort of feels this way, like, you know, wants to have a good reputation, but it's a bit different on a Bitcoin standard where there's no bailouts. Yeah. And especially in mining, like mining is an industry where you pay up front, you hope that the person you buy, you paid is going to come through because um, often they're overseas and, and you can't always audit them or, or, or hold any leverage over them. And legal contracts, you know, they are what they are. I mean, enforcing them is very costly. So it's an industry built on reputation, like mining, mining more than maybe any industry on the planet. So when... You know, like for me, uh, I've already seen, I've already seen dividends from me being the way I am online, uh, which is, I consider myself a straight shooter. Like I don't 
I don't bullshit people and I don't, I don't lie. So, and I tell, I always speak my mind because I think what it does is it, it builds a reputation and a lot of Bitcoiners like this and a lot of Bitcoiners have this, like they have this reputation where I think people trust you and trust you're going to always do best by them as best you can. So for us in my business, like it's already paying dividends now because uh, we're able to sell people equipment and people are willing to give us money up front with no legal contracts, uh, nothing other than like my word or my company's word. And that's good enough. And that's sort of what has been lost, I think, on, you know, 50 plus years of unreserved fiat money is uh, reputation is no longer that important. And, you know, the the balance of incentives has mo- moved into legal contracts and the lawyers and to arbitrate uh, and to litigation. And I mean, that's where I want to get away from. I'd rather run a business with zero legal contracts and just work with people on on reputation and word or word because it's so mm. much more scalable it's so much more low friction and that's actually how we've ran most of our business like because a lot of oil companies will come to me and not do a deal unless there's a legal contract and i just laugh at them i mean i i do i like i laugh in my head i should say because i don't obviously laugh directly at them <laughs> but i we go through the process we sign their contract and we do business but like i laugh because you know if we screw up because their their legal contracts are always structured so that what happens in this situation, upstream data, you know, has to compensate, you know, whatever. But I will always compensate you if we screw up, like if it's our fault. Like it doesn't have to be an illegal contract because that's the only way I'll build my business. Because if I don't, and the word spreads, like if I start selling, like we're starting to sell ASICs now to retail uh, a little more, and we're going to probably keep pushing into that market with our black box product. And I mean, if I screw anyone, like if one person gets screwed, uh, they're going to talk about it and there goes our reputation, right? Like, you know, that old saying, it takes a lifetime to build one and a second to destroy it. Mm. So I build everything in our business so that everything I hammer into our employees is, is mitigating that risk. Cause there's always risk. You're, there's always going to be execution risk. We might, we will screw up and we've screwed up a lot. We'll keep screwing up, but we have to price, price that in and sell a product at a price where we can always make them whole. If you know what I mean? So th- this whole topic is like is is something that was lost I think on a fiat standard was this this emphasis on reputation and and a man's word um and I think it's something that by necessity is going is going to uh, uh become a big deal again. So so what I'm trying to say with like the fiat stuff like where the where you seeing where I'm seeing all this competition like you know raise a shit ton of money and go do this and that like these people also are the, the types that don't make their customers whole. Like, uh, I know many of them. I know many people who have worked with uh, different mining uh, outfits. Like, I mean, the history of mining is a history of people scamming. Like, that's what it is. Um, whether it's whether it's delayed shipments by, like, Butterfly Labs or garbage hardware, like Bitmain sending people trash and the warranty policies being terrible and you know, it's just a history of crap. And uh, for me, it's like, okay, if we're going to push harder and harder into that specific industry, let's do it the right way and have an amazing rep because rep is what, what is valuable in the end. And you can't, you can't buy a reputation. Like you can go raise as much money as you want. You're not buying it. No one, your reputation is only from the deals you do and the trust you build in your customers. And 
for me, that's our focus because I look at it. If I keep building our reputation and our business keeps growing, I'll be able to leverage that in the future for an insane valuation that no one else would ever have a hope to get. And so if I ever do want to sell out uh, to the fiat maxis and bring in this easy Wall Street money, I'll do it at a point in time where I've built such a solid foundation that what we end up doing will be like nobody will build ignore us, right? Like so that's the way I look at it. Like I call it a lower time preference. Yeah. I mean, I could not agree with that more. And I think what's again, this is this is a manifestation, in my opinion, at least largely a result of the intervention and perversion of free markets, right? Because in a free market, when you do make mistakes, when you do break the reputational bond, you lose money. And if you do that enough or on a big enough scale, you go out of business. There's no backstopping. There's no bailouts, none of that kind of stuff. But in fiat world, the importance of reputation necessarily gets dialed down because there's so much backstopping, intervention, regulation, government subsidies, handouts, all this kind of stuff. So the relative importance of reputation is greatly diminished. And then you get, that's part of the reason why you get this hyper legalization of the system where everything needs complex contracts just to function because there's so much perversion that removes the element of effectively honest voluntary interact interaction you know and, and exchange absolutely i mean i mean there's i've i've built up supplier relationships where we have no contracts i send them bitcoin and tell them what i want you know they might you know they might have tell me what's available and they deliver because we trust each other like it's a it's mm -hmm. a trust bitcoin for you know for lack of a better explanation it, it enables it re-enables like a trust-based world. It reinvigorates communities because everyone is forced to act in such a way where you don't deceive each other and and you you are you do stand by your word because if you don't, then your reputation is smashed and you don't do any more business together, right? And so like that's that's the future I see. So like everything I do in my business, I mean, I feel like I've I have a good gist of where the world is going on a Bitcoin standard. So I, I, I build the business that way. And uh, so I don't, I don't worry about like when I see, um, if I do see a competitor in some manner, whether there's doing something similar to us or whatnot, if they go sell a bunch of their equity and, and, and go fly with the Fiat Maxis for now, it doesn't matter to me because I don't think they'll be around in 10 years. They'll, they would have already exited and sold out. And they would they would have done fine, but like, uh, it's just not interesting to me. Like, I'm more I, I get more anxiety and like more uh, like I'm more depressed. Say like if I see someone build a better product than us, and I'm like, oh damn, that's a sweet product. Like, and, you know, and it's like it's something that I do. Like, like if it's it's directly competing with what we do, like what we build, and someone just builds it better, or they make design choices that are just smarter. That's what gives me anxiety. That's what like gives me, makes me lose sleep. Like I'm always trying to iterate because we, you know, we've I've built some shitty products in the past, like uh, good for their time, but you know, we've iterated and I've seen competitors build good stuff, and, and we're all being inspired by each other. And I mean, that's that's where that's what gives me motivation. I'm not at all like. I am motivated by money just like anyone, but like, I'm not, I feel like, you know, once you, you have a Bitcoin treasury with it in personal life and in work, 
you know, you know, things are going to work out. Like, you know, that we're so con- we're both so convicted that Bitcoin has such a bright future. You know, if I if my business went bankrupt today because I made some bad decisions, like you know, at least I tried, and I'm 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 happy because I'll have you know I still have personal a personal Bitcoin treasury. I know that you know I have the skills to go find another job, and you know I'm not I'm not so motivated by quick quick wins like quick gains like someone coming in and, and offer me a ton of money on on value I, I just want people i want people to come in and join my team that are awesome and that are gonna be with me for a long time yeah you know it, it's obviously built into like a conversation like this is the fact the assumptions that contribute to our conviction right and so like they could obviously be wrong but assuming that they're not and they're mostly accurate it really is an interesting psychological dynamic that prevails when you're on a personal Bitcoin standard. Like you, you, the, the, the degree of security you feel in relation to the future is just so amplified that, as you say, I mean, you can, you can, you can go forth and try to build things that you think are the most meaningful, worthwhile, enjoyable things that you want to deploy your time and energy toward building and if they don't work out and, and, and the, the, the security and comfort you have toward the future because of that, you're on a personal Bitcoin standard. I mean, I, I'm sure this sounds really silly to people that don't get it or who are not on one. But even if you have a lot of money in fiat world, just the, the qualities of Bitcoin that allows it that allows it to resist anything that would degrade it over time somehow is transmuted into the psychology of the individual that gives them a sense of security that then gives them a sense of freedom to pursue things that are more meaningful to them in the here and now like that relationship to a a more secure uh, future is what permits the freedom in the current moment and 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 like again i know it sounds absurd but i definitely notice this if you spend enough time with bitcoiners and bitcoin companies you really get a sense for that and that's why i think the companies emerging in this space are so much more oriented toward toward ethical you know noble operations or or, or like imbuing the company with a certain ethic and i think that's a really good thing oh yeah i I do i mean um it's it's interesting too because like there's this idea that like, so Bitcoin is young, like it's 13 odd years old, you know, it was a lot harder for a new entrant in this, into this, into this like monetary system, you know, five years ago to have the conviction we do now than it is to enter. It was a lot harder years ago than it is today. Cause there continues to be precedent. Right. Um, I mean, obviously like, you know, you can go ask anyone in the world who's never touched a gold coin and ask them what they think of gold, and they'll all say it's gold is great, it's valuable, it's it's awesome, and it's because gold is such a precedent. Yeah, and I, I mean, not everyone might say that because gold is just a dumb rock. <laughs> so, you know, guys like Michael Saylor and Safety and Say, but like, I mean, it, it has such a history and precedent. It doesn't even need explanation, and people understand that inherently it's valuable and it's worth having. Um, and I think the longer Bitcoin lasts, the more that will be, because I think there's this aspect where the newcomer comes in and there's all kinds of things that they might read that will sow seeds of doubt, um, FUD, as we say, um, simple things like, 
you know, it could be all kinds of different fights. Like Bitcoin's bad for the environment, uh, which is false. Uh, Bitcoin is not actually secure. It can fail this way, which is usually those FUD you know, the FUD they talk about is, is false. Um, Bitcoin's not scalable. That's false. Um, so you get all this FUD. So the newcomer that comes in, they, they actually, you cannot, as you, as you say, like you cannot grok Bitcoin. You cannot comprehend it and become as convicted as you and I are until you've been in it for a while and you've addressed all this FUD. You have to mm. ask these questions and you have to read up on them. So like as soon as I got into Bitcoin in 2016, I like, like I am with anything, I'm very skeptical. So I thought it was interesting mainly because I, I saw it as a tool to solve this, this oil field waste problem. And that's what got me into it. But I, I kept reading these things that scared me like, uh, Oh, well all these people got hacked before. And I'm like, Oh, well, what's that about? Like Bitcoin's been hacked. And no, it wasn't like you read up on it. It's people getting fished or people doing stupid things. Mm. Uh, people talking about Bitcoin being bad for the environment. It's like, Oh, that's not good. That means it's not going to scale. Like it's not going to be adopted. Well, okay. Well you look into it. It's actually quite the opposite. Bitcoin's probably, probably the, the best thing for the environment in the history of mankind, because it, 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 it enables proper allocation of resources. And, and that is right. truly what it's resource waste, right? Of course, that is bad for the environment and Bitcoin is the opposite. So like once you like for the newcomer, it's like really easy to be hesitant and not go on a Bitcoin standard and not adopt a Bitcoin treasury because they just has, haven't had the time. Like they really haven't had the time uh, to, understand all this you can't just go to one day seminar and come out i mean you probably come out a different person like a different mindset but like you can't really go to one day seminar and totally understand and be fully convicted into bitcoin i wouldn't say i was fully convicted into it for a couple of years but now i am because i'm the kind of guy that i just need to i just need to know all the answers if there's if there's a lingering doubt i need someone to help me explain like understand it and so like me listening to podcasts, you've done the same, and, and listening to experts in the field talk about it and absorb that knowledge. That's what eventually gave us conviction. And that's why we convert ourselves to, like you, I believe personally, myself personally, we're very, very hardcore into the Bitcoin standard um, treasury and lifestyle. And for newcomers, it's not that easy. So even like, you know, earlier when I was talking about, you know, my competition who's on a fiat standard, you know, they might actually have like plenty of guys in the company that want to get on a Bitcoin standard, but it takes time. Like it's going to take a lot, a lot of time for them to get to the level that we're at because we've already, we've already became called a convicted, uh, Bitcoiner. And we understand, uh, I, I almost like have almost, I pretty much have zero doubts now about Bitcoin. There's, there's almost nothing that scares me because none of the lingering FUD, uh, uh, like I've looked into all of it and none of it sticks. So Mm -hmm. So I'm cool with, with going all in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, how do you, th how do you think, and you mentioned that, you know, your vision for the company is not just to mine Bitcoin, but to be like oil field service provider. And maybe this, you know, the, the specifics of your vision there ties into this question, but how do you think the dynamics of Bitcoin mining are going to impact or change like global energy production i know that's a super broad question and you know it is kind of an interesting because as i'm asking that question i'm thinking about how energy and money are now going to be 
you know, more intimately intertwined than ever before. But then, of course, my immediate reaction to that thought was, well, the petrodollar system is a very, uh, a pretty intertwined relationship between money and energy, just in a far less, in a far more destructive uh, way, let's say. But how do you think, uh, yeah, how do you think uh, global energy markets are going to be changed or transformed by this new introduction of how our, our, you know, future global money is produced and how how it's produced yeah i mean i think it's going to be quite transformative i mean not not like directly in the sense that it's going to make like batteries more efficient and like engines more efficient and and solar panels more efficient i mean that's that's completely independent that's just technology but how how we use the technology i think it's going to become way more efficient so I, I really just see it as a i mean like sometimes i think about it like you have two systems. You have a fiat system, which is the opposite of the Bitcoin system, and then you have the Bitcoin system. The fiat system is a, is a way of synchronizing. Everyone's synchronizing with a trusted entity, which you know specifically would be like central banking, and it's sort of the central arbiter of what's right and wrong in in the ecosystem. Whereas Bitcoin is syncing with each other. It's just people syncing with each other, and and it, it's sort of the opposite side of that spectrum. And so I, f- I feel like Bitcoin, um, aside from what it does directly, like obviously like converting energy, say on a stranded oil and gas asset that has no other egress option, there's no way other way to get that gas to market. And then of course you convert it into Bitcoin, like you literally hash and create, uh, produce, I should say Bitcoin. Um, Obviously, that's that's a call it a direct energy efficiency because you're no longer burning it or wasting it or letting it sit and just like leak into the atmosphere or whatever the case is. But I mean, you got those direct efficiency gains, but it, the bigger gain is actually just synchronizing everybody together into more of a free market um, way of doing business that should just transform everything. I mean, like you know, a lot of people talk about. Um, certainly, well, I mean, when I say transform everything, I'm talking about allocating resources properly and investing in things properly and not having the, the external influence of government subsidy and government taxation dictating, you know, what industries thrive and what industries perish. Like, I mean, a great example is the coal industry. Coal is absolutely amazing. I I always talk about online (laughs) how freaking awesome it is. Like it's the best thing ever. But it's demonized in such a way uh, by who I generally call the fiat maxis, but I'm just talking about the the centralized system is demonizing coal because it suits their needs and it doesn't necessarily suit the needs of the economy or the environment. Um, Whereas on the opposite side of coal, you have what they deem clean, which is completely untrue, like solar and wind, which are not clean at all. And they and they subsidize that, so they they take from one hand the the hand of the coal the the coal industry, and they put it into the other hand of the the industry that they deem to be uh, holy. And this central uh, this basically dict- dictatorial way, or like the central centralized way of managing the economy, it just creates waste. And every Austrian eco- economist and Honestly, you don't have to be, you don't have to read a lick of the Austrian school of, of thought, but 
just being a practical thinker, you know that all this central planning is just you create arbitrage, you cre- which arbitrage is effectively a measure of waste and inefficiency. If you have an if you have an arbitrage opportunity, it means that something is not working properly. So you have this centralizing system creating arbitrage, and that's what Bitcoin does. It just sort of it it attacks that arbitrage opportunity and evens it out, and it does it in a way where it's sort of systemic, like it's not specific like to one industry or even energy. It's systemic across all industries. Everyone just has to synchronize with the Bitcoin network. And that's sort of fun- fundamentally why money is the most important technology on the planet, because it's it's the it's the one technology, it's the one product, it's the one thing like we all have in common, no matter what our backgrounds are, our cultures are, you know, our races or differences. It's money is the one thing that binds us all together. And I mean, if you have a broken monetary system, you're gonna have break everything. Like everything's built on it. So, you know, I, I think energy obviously is a big part of that. Like energy is what powers all of civilization. So if if money is what synchronizes all civilization and energy is what powers it, well, we need, we fix the money, we can fix the energy problems. So I think Bitcoin's doing that and it's doing it in direct and indirect ways. And it's sort of inevitable at this point because I, I really don't see, I spent a lot, I've spent a lot of my time trying to figure out if they can stop it and I don't think they can. So I think it's, it's a waiting game at this point. That's why recently online, I am just advocating, you know, when people bring up political, political problems and they're like, Oh, you know, we need to solve these lockdown mandate problems or whatever their political just issues plug are. Just plug in another minor. Yeah. Just plug in another minor and wait. Man. Like, just don't, don't worry about it. Like, and even me personally, I've gone from a different journey. Like, you could, you could, you know, I, I've tweeted so much that you never hope to read my past tweets. It's too many, but like, I've gone through a huge transformation, and uh, more recently, I, you know, I, I used to comment. I'm trying to reduce my political commentary because it, it's triggering. It's not good for mental health, but also it's just a, point, a wasteless mm-hmm. point, uh, a wasteful um, use of time, and I'm, I'm starting to realize well the answer is just plug in more asics like just keep I, I just need to keep selling asics and building things to help with mine bitcoin and help people mine bitcoin and i'm going to keep doing that and you know all this other stuff will resolve itself once you once you fix the the underlying problem which is the money monetary system yeah and you you especially in the enterprise you you know it's it's such a good meme because i've noticed it you know, in your tweets lately where it's like, whatever the problem is, just plug in more ASICs. Cause one, <laughs> you're converting energy into the, the most useful thing in an economy, the hardest money ever Bitcoin. And you're doing so in a, in a untraceable or less traceable fashion, let's say getting non KYC coin from your, from your mining, you know? So I, I love that that's become the de facto response. And it's, you know, I, I largely agree with it. And it's, it's interesting, man, that, you know, Bitcoin is a free market in money, right? And it's a free market in money that can't be uh, can't be stopped. Let's say, and I think as a result of money being the primary good in a market, that if you have a free market in money, it puts pressure on all other industries and products that interact and transact in that money to be more and more free market themselves. Like it, that's the pressure that's now uh, placed on them. And as you say, like in, in fiat world, 
so much is dictated by ideology because so much is dictated by discretion. How much money should we have? I don't know, billion, uh, a billion new dollars, a trillion new dollars. Like it's up to discretion. And, and when that type of discretion gets pushed out into the economy and everything becomes politicized, well, then the ideologies around what product or service or energy source or whatever is like the thing that, that uh, aligns with whatever ideology du jour is what gets the subsidy, is what gets the capital. And that's a total perversion of the, the natural market functioning. And I think, you know, a free market money that can't be stopped allows for emergent wisdom and truth to be found in the market. And those are the things that naturally and harmoniously get amplified, right? So we, we, what I'm excited about, and this goes for, you know, whether it's energy markets or anything else in the economy, like a free market money is going to put selective pressure on discovering truth. So what is the best energy source to power civilization? I think we're going to find out now. And what is the best food to produce to lead to like lives that are full of vitality and longevity. I think we're going to find out now, you know, because the free market money is actually going to push, is going to help reveal that the, is going to help for the truth to emerge rather than for ideology to muddy the water because of the way that it misdirects the signal that is the price signal and the capital signal, you know? And so, the and and the other thing about what you were saying about FUD is like that's that's super exciting to me also is that when when we look at like the worthwhileness of a use of energy, I think a, a useful framework is well how useful is the output and what is the duration or the or the lifespan of the output, right? And so if 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 it's a not a very useful output and a short lifespan, well that's not a very worthwhile use of energy. And I don't mean in the ideological sense, I mean in like the economic calculation sense. But if you have an output that is the most useful, i.e. money, and has the longest um, uh, duration or lifespan, i.e. a money that doesn't degrade and that, you know, ostensibly can last for as long into the, the future as we can imagine, then that almost definitionally, in my mind, makes it the most worthwhile use of energy. And so when, when the FUD comes up saying that like, oh, well, we shouldn't mine Bitcoin in this state or this region or whatever, because, you know, that energy could be devoted to other things. I think, yeah, but those other things are way less worthwhile to devote to than actually generating Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I think Bitcoin's going to reveal yeah, all I mean, these the, truths the throughout the course of time. Like- it will. I mean, I think it is the ma- the... I mean, that's what I like to say, like synchronizing with truth, like Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network is just, you know, it's it's just math. Um, It's it's an incentive for being honest. It's incentive for truth. Um, And I mean that in the literal sense, because a Bitcoin miner, if he tries to deceive the network, he will uh, his you know, his block won't be accepted. Um, You have to mine Mm -hmm. honestly in this network. So it's sort of it has a foundation of honest behavior, which then everything else can get built on top of and definitely yeah. in the, in the energy sector for sure. I mean, it always, it always, I'm always getting on, I'll get on to different, you know, themes on online. And, you know, I was on a kick for a long time about like bashing uh, renewables because, you know, they don't really portray it accurately. And, in just, just like one quick example is like, you know, it, it has, it's, it has the, you know, you allocate resources to it, but they, they never really properly allocate, 
um, the waste that it creates and the, and the misallocation of capital and the fact that you could just run a coal plant at much lower cost, much lower man hours and, and burn, you know, you have this many less man hours burning that putting that much more effort and, and stuff into the economy, which otherwise wouldn't need to be there. I mean, simple things like, I mean, if you have one project employing 20 people in one project employing 10, if you're, if you, if you're stupid enough to actually care about carbon output, then, you know, a project that employs more people is going to be higher emissions. But I mean, when you look at, when you compare these, these silly top down governed, uh, you know, subsidized industries versus what they, what they, what they tax to pay for them, they don't allocate all that. Like they don't do the math properly and it's impossible. Like it's no, there's no way you can do the math properly. That's why right. I'm 100% on board with that. What you're saying is that like something like Bitcoin, which is, which forces you to compete freely and forces technologies to live on their, to stand on their own feet and not to be stand on because Bitcoin sort of defunds the government's ability to subsidize. So it, it's, it's harder for the government to come in and, and tax and then fund other things. Um, it forces these things to stand on their own feet instead of being mm-hmm. propped up. So, Absolutely. Like that's, that's part of why, like, you know, earlier when I was saying Bitcoin is the best thing for the environment in, in history, I really think, I really think it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have no idea what the econ- the global economy would look like without government subsidies and intervention and the artificially, artificially manipulated cost of capital. Like it, it could look totally different. And I think it would look better, you know, without so much ideology imbued into it. And, and that's why I say I'm excited because I think we're going to find out because if Bitcoin is successful, then I think slowly but surely it reduces the ability for that intervention to take place. And as you say, as a result of that, it helps reveal a more genuine form of truth. And I'm, I'm super pumped for that. And I think we um, can sort of look to the past to see where the future will go. Because like prior to the fiat standard, you know, there was always you know, more of a fiat standard than there, than there will be in the future with a Bitcoin standard. There's always some level of, you know, like governments taking all the gold and, and, and diluting and, and conducting signage, which is what Bitcoin did, stops is signage primarily. Mm-hmm. But if you look to the past, you can sort of see signs of what the future will look like. Like, uh, you know, even we, were, we started this pod, like talking about Newfoundland, where we're both from like, I'm like my my own and called ancestral history. Looking at my the grand, great grandparents and and the times they lived in, everything was very more community focused. Um, there was mom and pop shops everywhere. There was businesses where you grow your your whether you're you know running a fish plant or running a little cobbler store like mending shoes or whatever. You you pass it down to your children and then they they took up the mantle. And I think that's what the future looks like. I think I think the eradication of small business is not what they commonly market as, um, is like consumerism and like Walmart taking over and Amazon taking over. It's actually fiat maximalism that caused that. It's, it's the fiat standard that caused that it's the fiat, uh, monetary policy that redistributed wealth from the many to the few. And when Bitcoin fixes that, I think, I think we're going to see a future with very strong communities, uh, more culture, cultural diversity, which is always a good thing. Um, more language diversity, more 
And then in terms of just pure economic stuff, like more small businesses thriving and competing and and a complete reversal of the consolidation that you've had in the corporate sector where big corporations just gobble everybody up and become even bigger, you'll see the opposite. You'll see them all fracture and splinter as individuals decide to move out on their own. Um, and, I, and I feel like even in my future, in my company, there's going to be a point in time if, if we keep succeeding, you'll, I'll have people fracture off my company and start a competitor. And, I, and you know, when that day comes, I'll... I'll celebrate because it's it's a it's showing that the the Bitcoin future, a better future is coming to pass, right? Yeah, yeah. I that's an interesting point, and I think it kind of speaks to what we were saying before. And and look, like we don't want to be overly narrow. Like I think it's massively due to the fiat maximalism, but you know. I don't want to discredit entirely like great entrepreneurship and, you know, product market fit and all that kind of stuff. But just to, to say, like, if, if you are a local mom and pop, you know, butcher shop or whatever, and Walmart has access to borrowing like, you know, a billion dollars at 1% that, and can do so to undercut you until you're out of business. And then they just scoop up your customer base. Well, like that's real world. And that's why we have these massive, massive corporations that because of their access to capital. And again, like they earned some of that access to capital. I don't want to discredit entirely, but the point simply is, is that that's part of the reason why we get this concentration at the top. And interestingly, as I observe my own and a bunch of behavior in Bitcoin land, like there seems to be a greater valuation and desire to, um, uh, what's that word to like shop at that's, that's, there's a particular word for that, but desire to patron to like, uh, to patronize or, or be a patron of like smaller scale, businesses that produce higher quality product and like yeah usually at a higher cost than the absolutely cheapest option available but again what do you know like bitcoin if you're living on a bitcoin standard it gives you the option to explore it gives you the ability to explore those options and choose them if you would like to and i think what i what i'm really enjoying seeing is like whether it's in the realm of farming and ranching or like you know uh like woodworking or 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 doing, you know, building things that we have in our life. I, I, I feel this trend toward having fewer of them, but of higher quality. Like when you, when you actually do, you know, purchase them and integrate them into your life. And I, I think there is a shift back toward more local, more community-based uh, economics, you know, let's say. Yeah, I think, you know, a Bitcoin standard empowers the individual and it, it flips the the incentives where you, you know, like you mentioned, like Walmart gets these massive, this low cost of capital, like this very low cost of capital. And there's no way to compete with that because they, uh, without a Bitcoin standard, because you know, you're a small business, you just have no chance. You have to have a product that's so much superior than what Walmart's doing and somehow have it protected maybe by IP or something that it's the only way you can prevent them from undercutting you and putting you out of business with a Bitcoin standard though, it sort of shifts it because um, it, it's more individual, individual, um, focused and individuals are going to be the quickest to, to take up, take it up. And the earlier you are in a Bitcoin, just by nature of its ever deflationary, uh, production, uh, mining production, it's always going to be more valuable, uh, the earlier you get it. So it's, it really helps artisans out like people. I know some guys in Calgary, I know a guy in Calgary, um, uh, Madex online. He does some really great art and 
he's been on a Bitcoin standard for a while. And what it does is, you know, he, it's freed him up to, uh, to have the time really, or like what, you know, these Austrians talk about all the time, time preference that he has the time to produce better and better art and to improve his mm. craft. And unfortunately, um, that was stripped away from us as a society with fiat. So, there's nothing but optimism in Bitcoin. It's just like, <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Like, I don't know any Bitcoiners. And even though, like, I sometimes come off as very pessimistic online, it's usually because I'm criticizing things. And I probably do that too much. I criticize too many of the of the evils of fiat in the world. But, like, I'm a quite an optimistic person, um, as hopefully you can tell, like, people listening can tell. But, like, you know, I don't know any Bitcoiners who are that, who are, you know, who are pessimists. Like we, we've seen what, you know, what the potential is and we're all super optimistic of the future. And you don't see that in a fiat world. Like the fiat people, like the people on the fiat mind still are, you know, they're more, more on the pessimism side. They're more on the doom and gloom and the, and the fear. Whereas I think we're the opposite. And, and that's why I think it's important. It's important to even have these discussions in an open forum so that we can expose mm. people to this optimism. So at least the very least, hopefully they, they listen to this, this chat and chats like this and think, well, maybe there's a little bit more to this thing. These guys are talking about than you know, I, I was told, or I, I th- first thought, and, and that's, yeah. you know, this is us creating adoption right here. And this is what's important. That's why I love doing these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and once you start get, to get an appreciation for just how influential money is in an economy, when you stumble upon a money that is so superior, it's such an upgrade from the one that you've been using, and it kind of changes your perception about so many other things downstream of it, it's difficult not to feel hopeful. You know, we live in a pretty insane world right now. And all the Bitcoiners, despite having probably a better understanding of that than most, are extremely hopeful and are devoting their energy and their time and resources to actualizing the hope that they see on that horizon. And like, it's beautiful. And, and you're a prime example of that. Um, but I know we're, we're basically out of time, but I did want to ask you one last thing. Uh, you mentioned a few moments ago, well, two things you mentioned, you mentioned solve the problems of the world by plugging in more ASICs. And just by happenstance, now you're, you're selling ASICs retail uh, and the, you know, you, you've developed a, a very nice uh, black box or own box. I'm not sure what you what you call it to uh, to house them in. But why the shift to like a, a a consumer or a retail model for your company? Uh it's really like anything I've ever done. It's just chasing opportunities, like the oil field thing, which is still still our primary focus and my primary passion. Uh, it stemmed from an opportunity that didn't exist. So. I always had this, like the black box, really what it does is it allows you to mine outdoors uh, safely. Uh, um, so it gets the heat out of the house, gets the noise out of the house. And it just allows, it's sort of just another tool to help mining uh get to the masses in a sense. And so, I mean, the only reason we went down this path is because I'm very an open person. Like I, I spill the beans on everything that we do on like <laughs> on Twitter. Like I don't, I'm not secretive. Like I, all my plans, like there's only a few things that I don't tell Twitter until I, you know, I'm ready to execute, but everything else, like I, we reveal on Twitter and, and that's probably the best way for us to 
reach out to the public and the black box sort of came organically. I had this idea for it for a long time, but I didn't know if there was a big market for it. And I just asked Twitter and the response I got was, I think that it started with a poll. I put a poll out there. Like if I built you a home mining system that did this, would you want it? And the poll was my best poll ever uh, in terms of like retweets and like, uh, impressions and whatnot engagement so i I was like oh well clearly there's something here i got so excited over the poll i built it in a week (laughs) because i already had the idea in my head for like probably two years and uh and yeah and that's just where it came from and then after that i was like well there's a market here obviously like a big one and uh we are in a position as a company where you know i talked all about reputation like that's all i care about so like people will know like the long, the longer we stay around and every time we screw something up and solve the problem and make cus- the customer whole, I think people will, will want to buy from us at a premium because they just know you buy something from upstream data. They're going to, they're going to take care of you. And like, that's sort of what, what we want to do. And, and I mean, we're not perfect. Like we've had, we've had deployments in the oil field that we had quality problems. Like that's happened. Um, it's in, and sometimes it's just due to poor design that we fix, or sometimes it's just due to poor, someone made a mistake at the shop or something. And, but we always try to work with the customer, make them whole. And, and I mean, that's what it's all about. So basic thing, um, it just seems like we just have so much inbounds on it. It just makes no sense not to serve that market. So we're, why do you, why do you think there's so much, retail interest in mining now because i remember a few years ago it's like oh you want to get into mining well unless you have power at like two three four cents a kilowatt hour don't even think about it bro and now like, <laughs> yeah. there's all these people like getting old s9s or even even newer uh, mining rigs and doing all sorts of really cool home mining operations like what's going on is it just the the big disparity between uh well how profitable mining currently is like is this going to last the, the retail mining phenomenon well, I think Bitcoin is is has a history of ebbs and flows. Like it, there's pumps, there's dumps. So I think we're in a pump. Uh, we're in a home mining pump, and it'll dump. Like there will be um, there will be a point in time where the, the, it goes to a bear market or, or something happens in the mining market where it's just not as profitable. Maybe maybe supply goes way up and hash rate goes way up, so revenue goes way down. But it ebbs and flows, and I, but I, I think it trends. There's a there's a clear trend, and the clear trend is towards decentralized mining. It started very centralized. It's we have this what I call I call it a transitionary phase where you have these fiat maxis buying insane amount of hardware and building big mines that will become targets for politicians and and other and just poor uh, I mean poor distribution of load on a grid is just generally not sustainable. So I, I think we're in this transitionary period, but it's all trending the right way. It's trending towards smaller, uh, like maybe in a small megawatt to even in some cases, kilowatt levels of power at commercial shops and the distribution. So I think Bitcoin will just fix the grids, make them um, more you know, they say balanced, but what I mean is like capitally balanced, like capital allocated properly, as we were saying about how Bitcoin helps with all that. And when you look at that trend and and and, and the fact that um, uh, 
the hardware itself, like the mining hardware, the ASICs, the hash boards, the chips, they're commoditizing. So like their successive generations are only improving less and less on prior generations. It means that the hardware is going to hold its value for longer. And so all these things, like all these factors um, are going to contribute towards um, basically mining in a decentralized way. So many, many mines all over the place. Uh, as a, when, especially when we're talking about the grid, then it does with the, this what I think is a temporary phenomenon where you have these massive grid, massive miners. So I, I think for like the home miner, it's it's you know there's never really a good time to get into mining. You're either going to do it now in the bull market and pay a lot for your ASIC and make a lot of margin on your costs, like your your power cost, or you're going to do it in a bear market where you you pay a lot less for the ASIC but you make very little margins, right? right? So there's uh, never a good time. So I, I always say the best time is yesterday. You just just get into it, and just like just like Bitcoin, I never tell someone, "Oh yeah, go dump all your life savings into Bitcoin today." I say, you know, I say like, take the time to learn, but also sort of dollar cost average in, right? Like buy a bit, buy a bit, budget, buy a bit, and sort of spread it out because I think that's generally a good strategy, and it prevents. You know, it might prevent huge gains quickly, but it also prevents huge losses quickly in the short term. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with mining. Like, you know, you want to get into it? Well, yeah, sure. Buy an S9. Like, you're you're not going to make much money, um, but you're going to learn a lot. And you're going to convert your dirty fiat <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to Bitcoin. It's a conversion machine. That's why I called it the black box, because it's like this unknown entity that, converts an input into an output and this input is fiat and the output is, is KYC free Bitcoin. So mining at home is just such an awesome way to do it because you own your hardware. Yes, your power costs aren't the best, but when you consider the hardware is going to be like this, these S19s and these Watts Miner M30s, like for example, the, we sold a lot of M30s with their black box launch. They're, they're going to be around in 10 years. You're going to be running those things in 10 years. Like this, they'll really? still be efficient. They're going to last enough. that long? They'll still be efficient enough in 10 years. Now, will they, will you have a hardware failure too along the time? Yes. But more and more, the market for fixing those will improve as well, just because of the commoditization aspect. We're actually looking at investing in a, in a, in a repair facility as part of our expansion, like our continual verticalization. Uh, that might happen next year or the year after. But no, totally, man. Like S9s came out in 2016 and, and we're on just about in 2022. So that was public in 2016. It probably came out a bit earlier privately. So you got six years of an S9. And that that was, uh, at the time, you know, the cream of the crop, but now is like two and a half to three times less efficient as the new gen. So you just look at the hardware cycles, like these S19s, because the margins are going to be less and less incremental on each new successive hardware compared to the prior gen. So that's all I mean is like hardware today is going to last for 10 years because S9s for most people went offline in twenty in early 2020 when mining was in a bear market. And then it flipped to a bull market and all those S9s became valuable again and turned back on. And that's what I mean. Like in 10 years, in 15 years, like there could be an insane bull market in 15 years time. And even S9s will be turning on again. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I mean. Like it's this hardware, you should never throw it out. Uh, you should at least uh, maintain it 
and some of that hardware is junk, but that's like the early, early generations. I think this new stuff is going to last a hell of a long time, especially if you take care of it. And you've been getting a lot of uptick on the ASIC and black box sales. Mm, it's been insane. Like, uh, if, if we keep the pace we're on, we'll like, I don't know, man, we, a large percentage of our last year's revenue has already been matched and we're, we're not even, really? a month, we're not even a month into our first, our fiscal year, our fiscal year starts in October or November 1st. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. Are you, are you having a hard time sourcing the ASICs right now? Uh, nope, not, not quite yet. Uh, we got some good suppliers that I've worked with for years and the way I see it, the bigger, the better we do at it and the bigger we get, I'll have access to more and more suppliers. I mean, my philosophy is we always protect the customer. We can, we can, uh, because we do that, we can charge a premium and the suppliers will line up to work with us. Yeah. Dude, you ever, do you ever just think like there's going to be like ASIC cowboys that just, they get a bunch of ASICs and perhaps like a hash hut type of facility and they just scour the globe for the cheapest energy. And then they, they're like, this is where I make my stand. This is where I plug in. <laughs> and they plug in their ASICs and just live in a, a tent, you know, next to it for however long they need to. It just seems like if you have a tool like that that can, that can turn energy into KYC free Bitcoin, like the incentive to just go find it is so strong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not have caravans of ASICs like traveling around horseback, plugging into like, <laughs> plugging into any cheap power source? Well, exactly. Well, I always I always said that the Citadel meme didn't make a lot of sense because it's so centralized. I always thought that if if there was going to be a meme like that, it would be more like a nomadic, like a nomadic Bitcoin tribe doing that, like running around from Gaswell to Gaswell, like uh, mining coins or something. Um, I, I sort of see that that feature like figuratively for sure. Like, uh, um, yeah, I, I do. And I mean, like we're, I'm trying to build the products that these people can use. Like, that's what I like doing. Like I have one project I'm working on right now that I'm hoping to trigger a lot of ESG people is a backyard natural gas Bitcoin mine, uh, that anyone can run in their backyard <laughs> that off your barbecue. So a friend of mine in Calgary, I mean, I had the idea for a while, but the, the friend of mine in Calgary inspired me to push forward with it. So we're currently looking at doing something like that, like as a little prototype. So people can go hook up off their barbecue natural gas, like in places like Alberta, where we have natural gas uh, plumbed in everywhere. And, uh, okay. and just generate electricity. And you could, we, I could, you know, whether it's us or someone else, like, I mean, if it's, if it, it, there's not the best economics in doing it, like in terms of capital, but gas is generally pretty cheap. So, uh, we're mostly doing it as a troll, but like, it's sort of, a, it's sort <laughs> of a fun, like I want to do a proof of concept and just show the world. Cause I know it'll go viral. And, uh, and yeah. Well, this I mean, this is kind of what I mean. Like, there's going to be this trial and error process of being like, where can we access energy, and how can we convert it to electricity to power ASICs? And you know, so people, you'll try your natural gas line, and you'll try like wherever energy exists, which is everywhere, right? So it'd be interesting to, to see just how strong that incentive is to go and and try to turn it into Bitcoin. Um, but man, I know you got probably lots on your plate and uh, you've been generous with your time. Is there anything you, that you wanted to either uh, cover or shill before we shut it down? 
Uh, not really. Um, yeah, no, just hit us up. He wants Masics. Uh, we're starting to build out our platform for that. And, uh, right now we just sort of do it by uh, request, like email. So yeah, hit us up sales at upstreamdata.ca. Um, yeah, I got nothing else to shill. Uh, just happy, to, just, just happy to hang out with you, John. Um, and yeah, you guys you too. follow me on Twitter s at sg barber b a r b o u r. Yeah, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, yeah, always great to jam, man. It's it's been way too long, and I I'm, I'm super happy to see all the success that you've been met with and the growing of the team and it's uh, and and the way that you run the company as you expressed here today. It's just awesome to see that Bitcoin is uh, fostering these types of companies. It's super you know it adds to the uh, the hope that we were referring to on the horizon so kudos to you and the team for doing it thanks a lot man yep anytime all right brother thanks again we'll talk again soon yep bye-bye cheers bye-bye I hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Steve. I'm extremely excited to see how Bitcoin mining will continue to resolve inefficiencies and provide new opportunities for the energy industry and what the long-term implications of that will be for human flourishing. If you'd like to hear more from Steve, follow him on Twitter at S-G-B-A-R-B-O-U-R and visit upstreamdata.ca to learn more about their awesome suite of products for turning energy into Bitcoin. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.